Hi friends, it's Heike. Today our special guest and expert is here to talk about something we all want to know more about, and that is cortisol, the stress hormone cortisol that makes it almost impossible to lose weight or lose the body fat, and strategies of how to overcome emotional eating that is related to cortisol levels, and the mind shifts that we need to make or can make to help us lose the weight, lose the body fat, and not gain it all back. So today, we are talking about the truth behind cortisol in weight gain for over 50s. Before we dive in, if you're not sure where to start a healthy lifestyle, nutrition, a little bit of exercise, grab my 5 for 50 Kickstarter for women over 50 so you get a little bit of a head start and listen to today's episode. I'll see you soon. I'm Heike Yates, a fitness and nutrition coach with 30 years of experience. I empower women over 50 to take back their health and strength to lead a vibrant life. Right now, you're joined by thousands of women over 50 around the world who stop dimming their light and instead ignite their spark. On this podcast, I do what I do best, taking complicated information about fitness, nutrition, and mindset strategies, and breaking it down into baby steps that are simple, actionable, and sustainable, so you can implement them into your life. I regularly interview some of the most inspiring women who share their honest stories, on how they went from their worst to their best life, so that you know you're not alone in your struggles. Join me as we redefine what aging looks and feels like by taking action and saying, yes, I can. This is the Pursue Your Spark podcast. Hi, everybody. Today's guest is Cassie Christopher, a registered dietitian and mom to a busy toddler. She supports postmenopausal women to get a handle on emotional eating so they can feel more confident in their bodies without depriving themselves of what makes them happy in life. Welcome to the show today, Cassie. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here talking to you again, Heike. Oh, it's awesome. You have me on your Facebook group and we talked about why we tinkle and why we sometimes pee and laugh and cough and sneeze and have all these problems. And I'm so excited to have you back after your first visit with my audience about emotional eating. We're talking today about the big C word, cortisol. (laughs) (laughs) The big C word, cortisol and weight gain for over 50s, because I don't know how many times I hear cortisol here, cortisol there, this and that and the other. And we really don't know what it is. And so I have a ton of questions for you around that topic as you're the expert in that niche. But before we dive into the big C is I want to know, and I know my listeners want to know, is what inspires you? to do what you do? Yeah. Oh, what a fun question. Um, 
what inspires me? Gosh, I have to say, I had the benefit of talking to a couple of clients last week and doing little testimonial videos and hearing the story of women who have this lifetime of dieting. Maybe a lot of women I work with were put on diets as early as like third grade. I mean, we're talking young. Um, and then now into their fifties, into their sixties, they're still battling and on that diet train. And I was listening to a woman speak about how she now has a relationship with food and her body, um, where she has no longer been eating. She's, um, she feels amazing. Uh, and, and she doesn't look at herself as bad. She loves herself. She doesn't look as food as bad. You know, there's no the, the good and the bad. I guess what inspires me, what I'm trying to say about this is how someone's relationship with food and the way that they eat and the way that they think about food is often so intricately tied to the way they think about themselves. And so my clients come to me and they say, I love myself. And I'm like, whoa. <laughs> That's huge. And that's, um, that's inspiring. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's nice to hear that, that we can make that change in somebody's life Yeah, and they recognizing that they actually made a change mm -hmm. that is definitely inspiring, but also empowering for us as coaches. Yeah. I think just recognizing how intricately, I mean, we know this at like a, a head level that like everything's connected. <laughs> but to really see that play out, that, that's what I'm inspired by this week. Um, yeah. So thanks for asking that question. Yes. So the big C, how is cortisol produced and how is it released in the body? Because mm -hmm. we hear this word all the time and it has all these blame things. But let's start from where does it come from and how is it released in the body? Yeah, yeah. So I think um, it's helpful to understand that cortisol is the primary stress hormone in the body. There are other hormones as well, epinephrine, you also know as adrenaline. Um, there are other hormones, but cortisol is that primary fight, flight, or freeze hormone. And so if you get in, say, a fender bender, okay, I don't want to... I don't want to talk about something more serious. Let's just say you get in a fender bender <laughs> and your heart starts to beat. Maybe your face turns red. You kind of get that nervous anxiety in your body. Maybe you shake a little bit. That is this fight, flight, or freeze reflex. You know, you might do any of those as a result of feeling like that. Um, you know, and if you think back to our ancestors, I always tell a story like, say you are living on the plains and there is a saber-toothed tiger running after you. <laughs> That's going to raise cortisol, which is the major stress hormone in your body. And you are so glad that in that moment, blood is diverted, the resources of your body are diverted away from things like resting and digesting towards that fight, flight, or freeze. Like you need that blood pumping so you can run as fast as you can, or you can hide behind a bush or whatever, right? The problem that happens in the modern world is that we are not, our bodies are responding to the world around us as if we're being chased by saber-toothed tigers, but we're not. We're just in a fender bender or our boss ticked us off. God forbid our husbands or right. <laughs> or our, um, you know, 
our, our barista spelled our name embarrassingly wrong or whatever, right? Like just little things that aren't that big of a deal can still inflate this same fight, flight, or fleet freeze response. And so when that happens, what's happening is the adrenal gland in your brain is producing this stress hormone cortisol and sending it out to the rest of your body to say, hey, something's going on here. And what happens as a result beyond those symptoms I mentioned, you know, the red face, the fight, flight, or freeze kind of responses is your body um, tries to conserve really what your body is doing in terms of energy balance is it's trying to make quick energy. Mm-hmm. And many of us would prefer that our bodies would be burning fat, right? And what cortisol does is it actually causes the body to um, create blood sugar for energy rather than using fat. So then what that, the consequences of that is that your body then shifts into fat storage mode because the hormone insulin is triggered. This can cause insulin sensitivity as well. So if you have excess cortisol over time, you end up with, um, you, you can end up with conditions like, you know, diabetes or prediabetes. Um, and and then cortisol moves fat from other parts of the body to the belly. So you get more belly fat uh, weight gain. And then I also see cravings, uh, cortisol lead to some rather pretty extreme cravings, which we can talk about more in detail, but just understanding how cortisol comes into play when we're talking about weight. And then there's that psychological factor as well, where when you feel nervous and anxious and stressed, I mean, yes, you get the food cravings and you do the stress eating, but even more like it's hard to care for yourself well, because you're kind of in that survival rather than thrive mode. Um, yeah. Is, is that making sense? I can tell you about what raises cortisol as well, if that's helpful. We get to that too, but is there ever too much or too little cortisol? Yeah, both. <laughs> both. So the idea being some, some of your audience may have heard words like adrenal fatigue. And the idea is when you get these signals that you need the cortisol and you're stressed over and over and over again, initially you'll have an elevated, a higher cortisol. And then, um, what can happen is if it happens for a long time and it's a chronic problem, then the adrenals just get fatigued and you might have a low cortisol levels. Um, And essentially the things that you do are more or less similar in both situations. It's all about really nourishing and caring for your adrenal glands, whether they're high or low. Um, But I also want to clarify, I'm talking about subtle shifts, you know, things that may not come up if you have your doctor test your blood for cortisol. Um, Which was one of my other questions. Okay. Yeah, it's important to know because there are legitimate, I mean, I don't want to say legitimate diseases, like what we're talking about isn't legitimate, but there are, you know, diagnoses like Addison's disease where your cortisol is just um, very imbalanced. Mm -hmm. And that's, if you have that, like you're going to know because it'll be a big problem in your life. Your medical team will be working on it. Um, So what I'm talking about here are more these kind of subtle shifts that, that we can have in our lives. 
Yeah, because I hear this in conjunction with cortisol is that, like you said, the Addison's disease, which is not what we're talking about because we're talking about waking, but also the adrenal fatigue that the medical community right now has fallen fall in love with because that's like, so I don't know how many women have told me that they have adrenal fatigue right? and they need to do all these things. And I'm like, is that, that's not my expertise, but I'm just wondering why that is, or is this just because the cortisol levels are out of whack? And like you said, you, you said it nicely. It's like, they're, they're just anxious all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's a lot of other things that can tax your adrenals or, or raise cortisol. You know, one that is very prevalent for this audience is menopause. Mm-hmm. Research shows that the menopausal transition can raise cortisol levels. So it's interesting that you're seeing a lot of that with the women you work with, um, who I think mostly are postmenopausal women. Is that correct? Yeah. So they've been through that change, had the cortisol levels raise as a result, and now are maybe dealing with the after effects. Mm-hmm. Yep. Other things that can raise cortisol uh, is inflammation in the body. So cort- one of cortisol's roles in the body is to lower inflammation. If anyone has ever taken, um, you know, medications to lower inflammation, oftentimes it's steroids, it's, it's cortisol. So they know kind of what that effect feels like. Um, so conditions like arthritis, any autoimmune issues, um, you know, blood sugar imbalance is another thing that can raise cortisol. So diabetes or prediabetes, all of those things can result in elevated cortisol. Um, a big one is poor sleep which is interesting because that often happens in the time of menopause as well, Um, you know, separately from cortisol, but cortisol actually controls your circadian rhythm. It controls your sleep wake cycle. And so if you are not sleeping well, that's going to cause an imbalance in cortisol. And if cortisol is imbalanced, it can mess up your sleep. So it's like a chicken or the egg. In terms of weight gain, which I know we're talking about here, there's really good research. A 2015 uh, meta-analysis showed that for every hour of sleep that you're deprived, you eat an additional, how many calories would you guess, Heike? Maybe you know. Okay, I'm going to go for 200. 380 calories for every hour of sleep you're deprived. Because I was thinking an apple, it's like 150 calories. I was thinking, Mm -hmm. okay, so you can eat several apples or which probably most of the women are choosing is a bar of chocolate or some other sweets. Or I know we always talk about donuts and many people are like, I'm not eating donuts, but you maybe eat a Danish or you get to grab a bagel, you know, with 12 bazillion calories. (laughs) Or like a frappuccino, right? So we're thinking like, um, uh, caffeinated drinks because you're tired that have more sugar in them, you know, that's good. You're, you're going to be more likely to do something like that when you're sleep deprived than if you, you know, aren't, and you're just having a latte and that's okay with you. So how do you measure cortisol? Cause I never knew that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So cortisol can be measured via the blood, via the urine or via saliva. Oh. And, you know, as I said, um, if you go to your doctor more often and you say, Hey, I want a cortisol test. They'll probably say, you really don't need one. You don't have any, you know, signs of like Addison's disease. So you don't need one. Um, and really I think it's because our current testing methods just aren't that great. The body controls 
the amount of cortisol in your blood to such a fine, finite, you know, degree that if it was out of balance, it would mean something serious. Like you have like an adrenal tumor or something, right? Like it would be like a big problem. Um, urine and saliva methods are a little bit more, um, sensitive. And so for saliva, for instance, they often do that if you're having trouble sleeping, um, and you spit into a tube a couple times a day, and even once in the middle of the night, and it looks at your, um, your cortisol levels throughout the day, that can be a little more sensitive. And then the urine is a bit more sensitive as well, looking at, um, metabolites to see, are you low or high or, you know, normal in cortisol, but even if you're normal in all of those areas, if you're stressed out a lot, and we, I didn't even talk about psychological stress because I guess I thought it was um, obvious, raises cortisol, right? If you're stressed out a lot, if you're struggling with weight gain, if you have more um, fat to your belly, if you're having really intense food cravings, you can bet cortisol is likely an issue for you, even if the tests don't necessarily show it. Yeah, because I find, you know, when you, when you talk about the medical community, that when somebody, and I haven't tested this, but I, I, I know from other cases that when we come in and we say, you know, we have all these issues and they're like, no, you don't, you're fine. Just go home and, you know, run around the block once, or they, they don't take us serious when we're, when these are serious issues, not only for waking, but emotional well-being, And we're just being shoved to the side by the medical community. Or the next thing is, here's another drug for you to take and um, go home. And that's why I'm so glad we're talking about this because I don't believe in taking a lot of drugs, taking a lot of medications unless absolutely necessary. And so how, if we feel that way and we have gone to the doctor and they say you're fine, but you know you're not fine. And you know you've gained like all this fat around your belly and you know you're not sleeping well because I know about myself. I mean, I'm 60 now and I have a lot of nights where I just don't sleep well. Mm -hmm. And I, as a fitness professional, I know what to do and I'm doing all the things. And sometimes I just say, you know what it is, what it is. And maybe there's an underlying thing that bothers me. Uh, but overall, I want the women to listen to say, okay, now, Cassie, tell us, we have all these things you guys are talking about. I want to lose weight. Uh, what do I eat? Uh, how do how do I where do I start now? Because I don't want to be overwhelmed with a big exercise program and another diet and all these things. So where do we start? Yeah, yeah. So for hormone balance, I recommend uh, like a, a two pronged approach. The first being nutrition, and we can talk about. Um, what specifically that looks like to help balance cortisol and how to not make it feel like another diet, right? Because that's important. Um, and then the other piece being stress reducing lifestyle strategies. Mm -hmm. And so if someone says, hey, I don't want to go, you know, do couch to 5k or like join whatever, you know, the gym, I'd want to work on cortisol in a different way. Those are two really pretty relatively easy places to start is with with yeah so with the nutrition the cortisol oh. balancing nutrition which I, I was like i was waiting for like okay now yeah i'm sorry uh is there a drum, was, a drum roll was, in there i was so in, in like 
oh yeah okay here she comes there it is <laughs> stop the donut no i'm just kidding i love it so well let me break it down for you for break it down yeah, perspective yeah so what i recommend for nutrition is now that you understand what raises cortisol that's actually the key to understanding how to help cortisol balance. So we talked about inflammation being the primary driver of, of cortisol. And then we talked about blood sugar imbalances. So targeting those two things with nutrition is the best way to get a handle on cortisol. So what I mean by that anti-inflammatory choices are going to be the things you traditionally think of as healthy, the fruits, the vegetables, the healthy fats, you know, the omega-3s, all of these things are anti-inflammatory um, and can make a big difference um, in, yeah, even how you feel, uh, especially if you're suffering from some inflammatory uh, issues. The other um, nutritional recommendation is that blood sugar balance. And this is the one that I find to be so crucial, especially if people are doing a lot of nighttime eating or if they're struggling with overeating in general, this blood sugar balance can, can play a big role because what happens is if you get a blood sugar spike from say some refined carbohydrates or some sugar, and then a resulting low, um, then the body kicks in and, and, and gets more cortisol going. So the answer is to eat a balanced, you know, macronutrient ratio where you really focus on protein and fiber because those things help to balance blood sugar. When I say fiber, I'm talking about things like uh, fruits, vegetables, whole grains. So protein and though in fiber um, regularly throughout the day. So I know you know, fasting is popular and, you know, there is even ways to incorporate this here. But what I've found with women who are struggling with overeating, especially at night, is getting a solid breakfast in with these components um, can actually go a long way towards balancing their blood sugar throughout the day. Um, and just eating regularly. Um, oftentimes when people are famished, at the end of you know the the day they do a lot of their eating after dinner it's because they just haven't really eaten much at all during the day so they've got all these hunger hormones on top of the cortisol that are causing the eating very true you know when i teach intermittent fasting since we're talking about fasting yeah please. i have all these examples how women can fast there is not just the 16 8 which is like the magic number in many women's minds yeah. And it all depends on what you your goal is with intermittent fasting is like you said, you know, if you want to lower your, your um, sugar cravings or if you want to balance, balance out your hormones, you got to look at fasting a little bit differently than just saying, oh, I'm going to do the 16, eight, I'm going to the four, two, whatever is out there. And I talk about this with my group of women about this and I'm like, you have to choose which one works for you because not all fasting is for everybody. That's a really and, great point. And, and there's research too to show that, you know, skipping a lot of meals raises cortisol. And so if that's your issue, those long periods, like you're saying, may not be a good fit. And, you know, it, it's great that there are professionals like you helping people I guess giving people permission to listen to their bodies, like, hey, this can still work for you. 
-hmm. but like figure out, does it feel good? You know, how are you feeling with this? Yeah, I was just recently interviewed for a summit where we talked about intermittent fasting and the interviewer says, you know, I get, I really want to (laughs) know. And she said, I get, what is it called? Hangry? Hangry. 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 She said, I get really hangry when I don't eat for 14 hours. And I'm like, well, then don't eat for, do eat earlier. Give yourself permission. Don't get hangry. Just, you know, eat when your body says, oh yeah, it's time. Because there is the fine line that it ties in with you. Um, What you're coaching is that the hormones just uh, the insulin levels drop or raise depending on where we are and when you get to that feeling in fasting where you're just drained that's not a good place to be so if you want to intermittent fast and lower your cortisol level and lose belly fat you got to listen to the two of us peeps (laughs) (laughs) that's right combine the modalities here because yeah that's a really great point So go ahead. So you don't want to go too long without having a complete meal. Yeah. So that's really, so the, the anti-inflammatory and the blood sugar balancing are the two keys for nutrition. Now, something that you mentioned stuck out to me earlier when you said people don't want to feel like they're on a diet and I am all for that. So when I work with people, I do not provide lists of what not to eat or things that they can't have. Rather, we talk about the abundance of things that they love, that they can have and ways to work food in. I mean, we're talking about eating more. And oftentimes you might say, well, eating more and weight loss, how are these two things connected? But They are so connected because this history of dieting and yo-yo dieting throughout life actually decreases the metabolism. And I'm sure you see this too. I get women coming to me and they're like, if I eat anything more than 1200 calories, I immediately gain five pounds. And it's like, yikes, you can hardly meet your vitamin and mineral needs at 1200 calories. That is just not enough food. Yeah. And so if your metabolism is so depressed to the point where you can't even meet your nutrient goals, that is a big problem. And the answer is not to then go and do an 800 or 900 or a thousand calorie diet. The answer is actually this formula I'm sharing with you where you're eating regularly throughout the day with a focus on protein and fiber. What that does is protein and fiber take more work for your body to digest and break down and utilize. They're so nourishing, you know, to to your bones and your cells and your skin and all of this. And so what happens is your metabolism ends up getting a boost from this way of eating. And so I work with women who either they just start to lose weight, like easier. I'm not talking about a lot of weight. I'm talking about maybe half to two pounds a week. You know, none of this, you know, 10 pounds in a week, mumbo jumbo. it feels easy because they're not counting or tracking or whatever. Or I also consider it a win. And I had a conversation with someone recently. I said, look, I will consider it a win in my work with you. If you get to the end of my 14 week program and you're eating more food and not gaining weight Mm -hmm. because a lifetime of that yo-yo dieting, it can take a while to get that metabolism up and running. It's possible. I'm not saying it's not. It's just 
as I was telling her in the, in the scope of a 14 week program, we may just get you to the point where your metabolism is like good enough to eat 1600 calories or, you know, more than you were before. Yeah. What was her response? At that, she was, she was in it. This is a woman who had been on and off, um, Octavia for probably about 10 years. And, uh, and she was ready to do something that really nourished her body um, and freed her from overeating. Nice. Because that's one thing that happens with cortisol when it's high and, and research shows. And I love, you know, when there's, I imagine them to be men in lab coats, but maybe women were involved in this research. Uh, that when cortisol is high, people tend to eat more. <laughs> stress eating, you know, that's a thing I didn't realize. Um, and so people get these pretty intense cravings with cortisol, either it feels, I call it a style one, uh, because I, I don't have a better gimmicky name for it, but craving style one, where you feel like you're addicted to food, you feel compulsively, like you have to eat or impulsive, you can't say no, or craving style too, where you're just preoccupied with food. You can't stop thinking about it. It's on your mind all day. Like you're, you're kind of always exercising willpower to not go to the vending machine or the cupboard. Mm -hmm. um, and so this blood sugar balance that I'm talking about really does a lot to decrease those cravings. Um, I had a client named Anna. She was like one of these eloquent people. Um, like everything that came out of her mouth, you could make a bumper sticker out of it. And she said to me, uh, after about one and a half weeks of working on this nutrition plan, that she finally had the freedom to make healthy choices because that blood sugar was balanced, her cortisol was balanced, and she was feeling good. Mm -hmm. And so the hormones, you know, you 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 can't fight those with willpower. So for anyone out there who's just feeling out of control or feeling like they don't have enough willpower or self-control or self-discipline, if they're wondering what's wrong with me, what personality defect do I have? What character defect do I have? And you're resonating with what we're talking about here. I just want to say it's not your fault. It's not your fault. These hormones are so powerful. And, you know, no amount of measly willpower, I mean, right back to the saber-toothed tiger, is going to stop you from running from a saber-toothed tiger. There's a pretty strong self-preservation instinct there. So what I hear then in that same context is, Kathy, is that then women are going for the sugar buster diet. The, I'm, going, I'm not going to have any sugar at all. And I think that's also, a, maybe I'm wrong, it's a wrong approach to go all or nothing. Because when you're so conditioned to eating something that raises your cortisol level and, and affects your, your adrenals and your insulin and all this stuff, and then just going like gung-ho, no, I'm so proud of myself. I haven't had a piece of sugar in any form, not even a carrot. What are your thoughts on that? So I would first like to point out that what you just described to me is really actually a disordered way of eating. So I think that's important to recognize that that belief that you can't have any sugar or something bad will happen. And now you're starting to cut out even healthy foods 
and you have anxiety or fear around eating these foods, that's consistent with, you know, you, you would have to go see people to get help, but um, some disordered eating patterns. Mm-hmm. And that's really common in the weight loss space. And in fact, this is my perspective as a registered dietitian who's been in this industry for a while. So let me give that little grain of salt. A lot of people who do weight loss have eating disorders themselves. And so you have to be really careful who you are learning from. And I love that you said all or nothing thinking. That's a really big sign of having an unhealthy relationship with food. And I don't say that with shame or judgment. I think that's what happens when you've been on and off diets your entire life. You know, you can't trust food. It feels unsafe. Um, but I just, I just want to point that out and say like, yeah, there's a better way. Like there is some good healing to be had. Mm-hmm. And so this idea that, you, you know, you should cut out all sugar, it, it's logical, but it's not helpful. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen this in other menus in my practice with different things where it's the all or nothing, uh, approach or the, I cut a lot of stuff out and, and it's, it's been fueled for so long by yep. the, by the fitness and nutrition industry that that it's really hard to fight against this. Or you're seeing, you know, the before and after pictures, which I'm, I mean, here's my bikini picture before, and you know you you don't look good, you know it already, and then you you lose all this weight because you did drastic things, only to go to good for a while, and then you repeat the program again because you couldn't maintain what it is that you were trying to achieve. And it, it is, we're here to educate all of you, all of you out there who see the video that we're recording and the audio spread this news that, that it's not a healthy way to go. And so going back to our cortisol, we know now fiber, balanced meals, eat in frequent intervals. Go, Cassie. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Well, I could, we should have another session where we talk about all or nothing thinking because I could go on and on. But yeah, so that's the nutritional component, the anti-inflammatory and blood sugar balancing pieces that you just succinctly summarize. And then the second piece is uh, stress management lifestyle practices. And so this can be different for for people um, depending on what they need. But in general, um, I recommend a mindset, uh, some mindset work around self-compassion on the one hand. Which may seem unusual. I could talk about that in a second. And then really the the ner- kind of down regulating the nervous system and getting that stress management going. And so for many people, this can look different. I use um, specific breathing practices with my clients. Some people might do yoga, some people might do meditation, some people might have a journal or a prayer, you know, life. Like whatever works for you to um, to down regulate. But the importance is. And I talk to people sometimes and they say, oh, I meditate every once in a while. And I just want to say like meditation may not be for you. Like that's kind of the the cool thing right now. Like if you're someone who can't do it regularly because like it's just really uncomfortable and you're not a big fan of it, just choose something else. Like find something that you really like doing that you can do regularly. Now, 
I use breathing practices with my clients, very, very simple, you know, just regular breathing, pay attention to your inhale, pay attention to your exhale for, um, you know, some amount of time every day. And this is based on research that shows it lowers your cortisol. The other interesting thing your audience might like to know about breathing practices is there is quite a bit of research that shows if you do breathing practices two times a day for 15 minutes each session over the course of, I think, eight weeks or so, eight to 12 weeks, it can actually lower the incidence of hot flashes. Uh -huh. So there you go, because the hot flashes are often triggered by the nervous system. And here we get this whole connection then to, you know, cortisol and stress and menopause and hormones. Um, so the self-compassion piece is, is important in all of this, especially if you're trying to make nutrition changes or you're trying to do something regularly, because self-compassion is actually the anecdote to that all or nothing thinking you talked about, which is important to bring up because if you are stuck in all or nothing where you're either meditating every day and like only eating anti-inflammatory, whatever, or you're doing nothing, none of it, right? You never make any progress. And that's hard. That's hard on your adrenals. That's hard. that bouncing back and forth. That's hard on your body. And so rather when you can be self-compassionate and know that, that you are, um, experiencing something and it's difficult and you're kind to yourself in the midst of that, then you'll see the partial successes, the partial wins, and you'll be able to actually regularly implement some of these things that we're talking about. Because hearing about them and not implementing them is a big waste of your time. <laughs> so I'll save you the time and say, rather than beat yourself up for not meditating more often, right? Um, pick something that you enjoy that, that helps you feel good when you're stressed. Do it reg as regularly as you can. And when you do it, celebrate that you're doing it rather than just thinking about how you wish you did it more often and beating yourself up for not doing it enough. Oh God. Or like one of the examples I have, we talked about the good and the bad. There's no good foods and bad foods. I uh, used to work with a client who would frequently come in the door. The first thing she would say is, I've been bad. I was like, what's that supposed to mean? I was like, you're a pretty nice person. She says, I didn't do any of the exercises you said, and I ate bad food. And I was like, there's no such thing as bad food. There's just food that's maybe not so good for you. But like you said, you know, give yourself some grace. You know, don't beat yourself up because you're not perfect or like somebody on Instagram who seems to have it all together and they have this plan and they, they execute it seemingly, but who knows? Give yourself grace. I love that. And, and when you beat yourself up, guess what happens? Cortisol. It your cortisol, right? So it's completely, <laughs> you know, against your plan. And the other thing I wanted to say is that word bad. I call that a sabotage word. So there's bad, there's failure, there's even success, right? There's messed up, you know, these are all sabotage words, blown it. I've blown it. Those are sabotage words. They, they, they are a marker of that all or nothing thinking and they sabotage your progress. Mm -hmm.
Very good. Now, one question in regard to foods, which seems pretty obvious, but we never should assume that everybody knows what foods increase your cortisol levels. Yeah. So, you know, in general, so I almost don't want to talk about this because there are no bad foods, right? So in general, what I'm going to do is share some, some, uh, some foods that can cause inflammation and dysregulation to your blood sugar. Cause we've already talked about how that raises cortisol. And then I'm going to tell you how you can still eat them and do, you know, kind of yourself a fit favor by not doing so much damage. How does that sound? I like that a lot. Okay. So we've already talked about how inflammation and blood sugar imbalance can raise cortisol. And so when we think about foods that are likely to raise cortisol, it's going to be foods that are inflammatory and disruptive to your blood sugar. So inflammatory foods are going to be things that, I mean, exactly as it sounds, causes inflammation or your immune system to upregulate and respond in your body and kind of start attacking things you don't want it to attack. That's what's happening with inflammation. And those are things like red meat, you know, uh, whole fat dairy sometimes, especially if it's not pasture raised, um, oils, oftentimes processed foods, cured meats, like, yeah, deli meat and, and um, salami, like things like that. Uh, generally, a lot of more processed or animal-based foods tend to be inflammatory. Now, I will tell you that a good way to get those in your nutrition plan are um, to pay attention to how things are grown or sourced, um, pasture-raised meats and, you know, animal products tend to have higher levels of omega-3s than non-pasture-raised because pasture-raised means the cow was eating grass, you know, rather than corn and that grass has the omega-3s. So those have a, a little bit healthier fat profile. Um, and watching portions, you know, a portion size of meat, uh, just so you know, is about the size of a deck of cards, the size of your palm uh, is another good indicator. Um, and the portion size of cheese is about the size of your thumb or two dice. And so understanding portions can help you enjoy those foods and, and, and you know, get them in, um, but maybe not rely on them for your primary sustenance. Mm -hmm. Also, if you pair those foods with half a plate of vegetables, which is what I tell my clients to do, who cares? You're getting so much anti-inflammatory goodness from that half a plate of vegetables that what's on the other half of, of your plate just becomes a lot less of, a, of an issue, right? So we're focusing on abundance. I love that. Because that doesn't mean I have to cut anything out. I don't have to not eat my Gouda cheese because that's my favorite cheese. Or I would never say. Never. Yeah, I would never say. <laughs> but you, you know, you still have it, but not as a main portion on your plate with some crackers. So I think that's such a good suggestion yeah. of how to look at it. Mm -hmm. The other thing is the blood sugar balance. So I talked about how the blood sugar spike then results in a low and that, uh, that results in, in cort cortisol being elevated. So watching out for foods that cause that blood sugar spike. Now, here's the cool thing about this is our bodies, mm, 
So when stuff ends up in your stomach, it's all mixed together. So your body does not think about what you're eating in terms of the individual items that you eat. Your body processes it all as one big ball of grossness called chyme, actually, C-H-Y-M-E for any nutrition nerds out there. Uh, and so your body isn't, isn't thinking about that you had a donut from earlier or chocolate or a cookie or whatever. It's thinking about chyme. And so the, the, the answer here is if you're going to have high sugar foods or high refined carbohydrate foods, that'd be like white flour, you know, things that have a, a, a high GI a, a glycemic index. Um, people might be familiar with that as a way of dieting that was popular five to 10 years ago now. Um, so <laughs> blast from the past, right back for you, everybody. Um, so those kinds of foods, if you compare them with the protein and with the fiber that I mentioned earlier, we're coming full circle now, it's going to have, I mean, hardly an impact to your blood sugar, much less than if you ate it alone. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's how, you know, you, those are the foods that can raise cortisol, right? The, the sugary, the, the refined carbs, and you can mit really mitigate the impact by just eating it with a balanced meal or snack. That's a great idea. Now, of course, I have to ask, because many women love to drink wine, and a lot of people still drink coffee. Nothing wrong with coffee. But what about coffee and alcohol mm -hmm. in relation to cortisol? Yeah. Yeah, so I think the research on both of those tends to be uh, a little more conflicting. And, and I've, I've gone in and done, you know, deep dives, like, what's the consensus? And uh, as, as far as I can tell with coffee, so in general, coffee is a stimulant and a stimulant logically would raise cortisol. And so the idea being, um, a lot of coffee may contribute, especially if you're dealing with feelings of anxiety or jitteriness or those kinds of things, like maybe that caffeine is not the best solution. Um, but it seems to be that if you have like the same amount of caffeine, your body adjusts to it and gets used to it. And so it's unlikely to be a huge bump on your cortisol. Um, unless you then add a significant amount, you know, on top of what you normally have. So I guess from what I can tell in the research that consistency with cortisol is really, or with caffeine is really helpful to cortisol levels um, if you're going to have caffeine in general. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of wine, now wine, wine or like a, a drink here or there is, is not going to have a big effect on cortisol. Now, where it will is if you have, um, you have enough to the point that, so alcohol can lower your blood sugar. And when your blood sugar gets low, everyone knows, you repeat it with me, right? Your cortisol gets elevated. <laughs> yeah, we've got a catchphrase on this podcast. Um, and so, so if you're having a lot of wine, it lowers your blood sugar. That's going to raise your cortisol. Um, the other thing wine can do is interrupt your sleep, which raises cortisol. And so, you know, in general, keeping alcohol to an occasional thing is probably going to be best if you're dealing with cortisol issues. Um, but again, 
I, I don't ever want to say you can't have it or cut it out. You just, I think, especially with things like alcohol and caffeine, once you have cut through the unhelpful baggage that you carry from dieting, you can reestablish a relationship with your body to the point where you can determine if wine or coffee is helpful for you personally. But it's hard to do that until you've balanced your hormones, like we've talked about, because I mean, the hormones are just screaming to eat. So those need to be balanced first. And then you can develop that relationship to tell what makes you feel good. I like that a lot. Because this, again, it's not about deprivation. It's about balance. It's about loving yourself, recognizing what your body needs and not what your brain sometimes tell you from old patterns that you've established through dieting. And, and as you, as an emotional eating expert, you clearly can see the connection between the cortisol and the emotional eating, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, because of those causes, those cravings, you feel out of control because your hormones are screaming at you to eat. Those hormones, these little devils. Now, <laughs> now, Cassie, what would be a couple of two or three tips that you can give my audience that they can start today to say, you know what? You can do this little step and at least it gets them set up on the right path to dealing with cortisol issues. Ooh, ooh I love this. I love this question because really there are little tiny things you can do that will make a very big difference. And the first one is going to be to notice every day a win or partial win, maybe a partial success, and take a moment, take a moment to just go, wow, I did that, go me. And really like bask in that win, to celebrate. And I talk to my clients sometimes about, oh my gosh, you know, I just got off the phone earlier. Oh my gosh, you've lost eight pounds in 14 weeks and you're sleeping better and you're moving more and you don't have as many cravings and you're feeling less stressed even while you were tapering off an anxiety bed. Oh my gosh, you know, I'm freaking out. I'm like, how are you going to celebrate? And she's like, oh, well, we're going away for the weekend this weekend. Yeah, but you're not doing that because of your accomplishment. The accomplishment's getting swept under the rug. So you need to take a moment to notice those accomplishments. That's going to help with the compassion that we talked about. And that's going to help you keep making progress because you're going to see I'm doing it. I'm doing it. Um, and, and the next day I'm doing it until eventually, wow, you know, you're, you're, you're eating salads all the time. Who are, who is this person? Right. Um, the second, I'm not saying you have to eat salads all the time. Let me tell you. Um, I cannot eat a salad for dinner. It's just like, it's against my beliefs. <laughs> it just doesn't feel good to my body. Lunch, fine. Breakfast, even. Yeah, okay, but not for dinner. Anyways, the other piece being um, protein. So oftentimes when I talk to people, especially if they're trying to embrace more of the plants, the anti-inflammatory plants, they just forget about protein. And there's a lot of amazing protein sources. Whatever nutrition plan you follow, just Google you know, like vegan protein or whole foods, plant-based protein, or just good protein sources, healthy protein sources, right? Whatever it is you do, focus on protein. That's going to, again, be that protein and fiber component that helps balance your blood sugar, make you feel full and reduce your cravings. And then, you know, my third tip would be, gosh, how do I choose? 
My third tip would be um, to pay attention to how you personally feel. Not how you think you should feel or how you want to feel. Um, because uh, especially Heike mentioned, I, talk, I do emotional eating. Oftentimes we eat because we would rather not sit and feel how bored we are. We would rather not feel how stressed we are. I don't want to be stressed. I'm annoyed that these things are happening to me in my life. So I don't want to be stressed. I'm going to eat. And so if you can just start to establish that relationship with your own body by checking in and saying like, what's going on right now? And in the beginning, it's so frustrating for people that I work with. They're like, I can tell I'm feeling something, but I don't know what it is. So I just want to tell you that's normal. <laughs> so that'd be my third tip. And um, it's a little thing you can do. Go ahead. It's like, I love this because they're really simple. You know, be, be grateful, be Pat yourself on the back for little accomplishments. Eat protein, which I'm all about, as well as an athlete. And then finally pay attention because everybody is so different. And what works for your girlfriend, Susie, doesn't work for you. So always, yep, I love those three small strategies. And we definitely want to hear about how those strategies go for you guys. But before we close down, I want to ask Cassie, how she helps women balance hormones and where we can find her. Yeah, thank you so much. So um, I have a 14-week program called the Stressless Weight Mastery, where I help women balance their stress hormones, make peace with emotional eating, and really optimize their metabolisms to um, feel good and empowered in their bodies. Um, and so if you're interested in that, you can check out my, um, my balance hormones to curb after dinner overeating my free guide at cassiechristopher.net forward slash free. And that'll give you, I mean, similar to what we've talked about today, but even more practical boots on the ground, how to implement this whole protein, this daily routine that you need to balance your hormones um, at again, cassiechristopher.net forward slash free. I'd love to connect with you. Great. Thank you so much for coming back, Cassie. And I always love chatting with you. We have so much in common and so much to share and so much passion that brings us together. It's always a pleasure. And then you, of course, are a wealth of knowledge. Well, thank you for having me. So listen, guys, we have it, this episode also in video. If you rather watch, go look, be on the lookout for also the video where you can meet Cassie in person, almost. And of course, you can listen to the podcast. Please share it with anybody that you might know benefits from this episode because cheering is caring. And we'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us on social media because Cassie is also on Instagram and on Facebook under her name. And you know, mine is Heike Yates on all social media and Heike Yates Pursue Your Spark on Facebook. We want to literally hear from you, not crickets. We want you to tell us how this episode impacted you. If you have more questions, uh, if you want to contribute something that we may have not thought about. So please feel free to do that. And with that, I'm out of here and I'll see you next time on Pursue Your Spark podcast. Ciao.